Hey, I'm sports journalist Sam Squires. Welcome to On Her Game. Charlotte Kaslick is one of the most recognisable faces in Australian rugby and in Australian sport. A star of the Australian Rugby Sevens team, Charlotte is now a two-time Olympian, Commonwealth Games silver medalist, was part of the history-making side which won gold at the Rio Games in 2016. That was such a breakthrough moment for the team. They went from relative obscurity to instant popularity. The girls found themselves on TV, commercials and magazine covers, including a shoot for Vogue. And within just hours of their gold medal, Charlotte's Instagram account went wild with followers. But with the spotlight comes pressure, and pressure too as defending champions at the Tokyo Games. The heartache of disappointment in their campaign was hard to see. But for this sporting star and part-time farmer, rugby almost never happened growing up as a little girl in Queensland. I have two older brothers, so um, I think I spent a lot of my childhood running around after them and wanting to be involved in everything they were doing. And most of the time they were pretty inclusive, but yeah, they (laughs) sometimes wouldn't let me play. And um, I think that's where I kind of got my competitiveness from was definitely wanting to be in and amongst them all of the time. And yeah, my both my older brothers always played sport. They played rugby mainly, but um, a lot of touch and like they did athletics and everything with me. Um, I played competitive or like rep sport in four different things for Queensland in primary school. And then as I got to high school, I sort of started to choose where I wanted to yeah. spend most of my time. And that was at touch football um, when I was probably in grade eight and nine. But yeah, that's sort of where I ended up. And then obviously that led to rugby. So um, it all worked out in the end. So you represented Queensland in four sports. So touch football, hockey, athletics. Athletics and cross country. And cross country. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just a few. Just a few. That would have been a big decision. I mean, because hockey is an Olympic sport, right? And then, and at the time touch football, in terms of elite, there wasn't really any pathway there. Obviously that's changed now, but it wasn't Olympic sport at all. Did you ever dream of the Olympics and, and have that as a goal? And then how did, how did that influence that decision on which path you would take with your sport and focus on? Yeah. So when I was five and I first started playing hockey, one of my nanas was sort of like the reason I chose hockey over netball. I think they were like the two sports at the same time. And then that was like 2000 Olympics and obviously the hockey roos were absolutely killing it at the time. And I was obsessed with Nikki Hudson and yeah, I definitely <laughs> wanted to be a hockey roo um, and go to the Olympics and whatnot for that. And then when athletics, when I was getting good at athletics, the same thing, obviously being Australian, it's so hard to make it in athletics. So yeah, and I think like the team sports sort of were like more for me. I love the social side of it. And ultimately that's why I chose touch. I don't really know why, because yeah, it didn't really have a pathway like the other sports I did had, but I just had so much fun playing. Um, Why did you have to choose? Could you not have followed both paths for, and how old were you when you made that decision? Could you not have followed both paths? um, Yeah, possibly. I kept playing hockey all through high school, just for school, but I wasn't really interested in playing um, competitively. And I probably finished playing club hockey when I was about 14. Um, And then... With athletics, I still did that through high school, but I used to get really nervous um, and I just didn't really enjoy it as much. And then touch sort of just started to 
there was like so many competitions and I'd go away all the time with touch and um, I played for Australia when I was 16 in the Women's Open. So wow, okay. yeah, that was sort of like my goal and like my focus was going towards that. But yeah, I guess once I did that, I kind of accomplished what I wanted to in touch. So then rugby came along at the right time. And you talk about it. So you were representing the Australian Opens team when you were 16 years old, still at school. How then did your rugby pathway come into your life and when did you leave touch football behind? I was playing touch for like in a trans-Tasman against New Zealand and Rugby Australia were there scouting. It had just been introduced to the Olympics so they were on the lookout to find girls from other sports that might be able to come across and um, like add to the depth, I guess, within rugby. Um, So yeah, they sent me a letter in the mail and just invited me to a training camp in Canberra at the AIS and I went along and I didn't really enjoy it. I was going to say, when you got that letter, <laughs> just rewind, what were your first thoughts when you received that letter? I don't really remember, but I think I wasn't that keen on it. But dad kind of encouraged me to just go and try it out. And obviously the Olympic card was so, I guess, enticing. Like I really wanted to do that when I was little and it kind of like reignited that dream of being able to go to the Olympics. So yeah, I think that was probably the one thing that got me across the line and got me down there to try it. And you didn't like it, you said? Nope. What was it about it that you didn't like? I don't know. Like the girls were a lot bigger than me. I was only young, obviously. How um, And it was, I think I was 16 then. Mm. So, and it was like an open women's camp. So I was, yeah, very young and um, I went down with Emily Cherry and Alicia Quirk. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. So that was pretty cool. We started our journey all together. I didn't really like tackling. So yeah, there wasn't much about it that I enjoyed, <laughs> but I kept at it and kind of kept going with it because, yeah, I did really want to go to the Olympics. How did you get good at tackling? How did you overcome that fear of tackling that you had? Um, it was definitely just practice. So... Like I'd love going out and like throwing a footy around and stepping and playing like five metre touch and all of that sort of stuff. Like I could do that all day, every day. So I kind of just channeled that into the things I wasn't good at. So yeah, I just spent hours and hours practicing tackling. Um, It was usually me and Alicia Quirk. We would get put into like our own group because we both sucked. Um, (laughs) And yeah, we'd just go off together and practice. And um, I was really lucky that the girls within the squad at the time were so willing to help me and um, offer themselves up to be tackled. And Rebecca Tavo, who was the captain when I first started, she, after most sessions, would like pull me aside and we'd just do a few extras and just having people that were willing to put in time with me to get better really helped. When did things start picking up? When did you go, because you were 16 when you first started, when did things start getting serious? And when did you have to then move away from home? I went to the Rugby Sevens World Cup when I was 18. And then I played a couple of World Series legs as well that year. And then the following, or like towards the back end of that year, they decided to make um, the Sevens program full-time and we all had to move to Sydney if we wanted to be involved with it. So I moved to Sydney uh, in 2014 at the start of the year. Um, I lived with Emily and Alicia again there. Um, So they've been like obviously a huge part of my rugby journey. And yeah, it was, I guess it was a bit daunting at the start. People always ask me, but I think I was fine. I didn't really 
like I was always quite independent growing up and yeah like mum and dad like I obviously miss them but I was fine like I was really enjoying it and it's what I wanted to do so I think growing up I never thought I'd be a professional athlete as much as I love sport and then like that opportunity came around and yeah I was just really I guess grateful that I got to be involved with it. You were then full-time athletes you moved away from home you were getting paid to compete and to train you were traveling the world and your team was getting quite a bit of success early on but not quite the recognition how difficult was it getting that recognition for your side um yeah I think it definitely was hard but I think at the time because I was just like loving what I was doing it didn't really phase me that much like I was just having the time of my life I was getting to do what I loved for a living and that was sort of just like good enough for me. I was stoked. <laughs> but I think like looking back, we definitely could have done more to help us get that recognition, especially when we were uh, winning for so many years in a row. And I guess because we play so much overseas as well, it's really hard for Australian audiences to watch us. And when we do play, it's usually at like 3am in the morning over here. And yeah, it's quite difficult to sort of get seen on TV especially in Australia when we are overseas for the majority of the year. What were people's perceptions of what the Australian Aussie Sevens team was like in those early years? Because you guys were the first, right? Like it wasn't a, an Olympic sport before you were brought into that program and they then announced Rugby Sevens as that Olympic sport. So it was a bit of an unknown there for a while, but what was the public perception of, of what you were doing and did you have any personal experiences of people back home or not quite understanding what you were doing? I think I've always been lucky that I've had a great support network around me. Like my friends at school, especially the boys, were always so supportive of what I wanted to do and um, my teachers at school and coaches at school would always let me join in with the first 15 or um, the boys' teams if we didn't have a girls' team. Um, Obviously, my parents have been great supporting not just me but a lot of other girls playing rugby as well. So in that as like in that regard, I guess I've been really lucky. Sometimes people don't believe me when I play when I tell them I play rugby. Even now, yeah, even now, especially like when I'm going to the airport, um, the cab drivers when they're like, "Oh, where are you off to?" and I tell them I'm going overseas for rugby or whatever. Um, they just like never believe me. <laughs> so I have to like show them photos or something. <laughs> but yeah, I think, I don't know. I think I've always been really lucky because I've had such great support mm. around me. But yeah. Did it ever frustrate you that you were, you know, winning on that world stage, but back home, few people knew about that or knew about your side? Sometimes, but I think I was always sort of focused on what I was doing and I never really played rugby for the recognition or anything else. Like I, I'm pretty like goal orientated and like if I make my own goals then I'm happy. But it's probably more frustrating now at times because rugby's probably like fallen a little bit behind in the advertising game compared to like AFLW and NRLW. And um, like we've got some really great athletes in our squad that sometimes don't get much recognition for what they do and they're like so good at what they're doing. So sometimes that's a bit hard, but yeah, I think we're all pretty focused on just doing what we're doing and kind of on ourselves and we don't really worry too much about what other people think or don't think. Let's fast forward then to Rio 2016 because that was really like a breakthrough moment 
for your sport and for you girls. When you first arrived in the Olympic Village, was it what you expected? Was Did it live up to how you imagined when you were a kid? Yeah, definitely. I think so. Rio was so much fun. Like I had the best time. And because we played so early, we were kind of like on this mission. We like got there straight away, played, and then we were finished and achieved something that we've been working towards for four years. And then just got to enjoy it and go and watch other sports and pretty much be like, we were like the ultimate Australian Olympic team fans. Like we went to so (laughs) many different sports and yeah, like we had the best time. It kind of like the food hall and everything reminds me, I loved Bring It On, the cheerleading movie growing up. Um, And it kind of reminds me of like this huge cheer camp. Like there's just all these like athletes that obviously there's all different shapes and sizes and they're all so athletic and um, yeah, they're all in this one place and um, yeah, it's pretty cool just to people watch and sort of pick and choose what you think people might do and try and get to meet people and find out a little bit about their stories and where they're from. And yeah, it's really cool. So you were the ultimate fans in the Olympic Village, basically. Yeah, pretty much. Who blew you away the most that you saw? In Rio, I was 21 and I was probably like a little bit, I don't know, I didn't get out there and like take photos with people that much. But Paddy Mills in both Rio and Tokyo, he was amazing. Like the support that he gave our team um, at both games and just the support he gives everyone really, like within the whole Australian Olympic team um, is unbelievable. And just the passion that he has for the country and the boomers, yeah, is like inspiring to watch and to see it firsthand is um, pretty cool. You were world champions prior to 2016 you knew you were good. You knew you were pretty much favourites for that gold medal. How did you deal with that pressure that came with being the world champions, being with some expectations? How did your team do it and how did you personally do it? Uh, As a team, um, we were pretty down to earth. So uh, we never really got ahead of ourselves and it was always sort of like one tournament at a time. We got smoked by Canada in like the last in the final of the last tournament before Rio. So that was probably a good little good reality check for us leading mm. in. But yeah, I think like our head coach, Tim, uh, Tim Walsh, he was quite experimental, I guess, in the way that he would sort of like put us under pressure at training and throw in just random, he'd call them curveballs, to kind of put us off during like prep tournaments or at training. But for me personally, I think I kind of like, like I love the pressure. I've always liked being in those high pressure moments and I like being the person that can stand up when um, we are under pressure. So for me, I really like that part of the Olympics and um, hopefully tried to like thrive (laughs) in it and use it to my advantage. But yeah, I think like while she with me personally was always just like reassuring me that it's the same game, same size field, everything's the same and the girls are the same we're versing. It's just on this big stage. So yeah, just trying to take away all those external factors and just like control what I could control. And yeah, I think we did that pretty well. We had like a little slip up against USA, but even at that time, it felt like we were still like well under control. And I can imagine when that final siren went and you realised that you'd done it, that you'd been a gold medalist. Take me back there. What was going through your mind at that stage? How did you feel? Uh, I don't really remember like the whole final is like a huge blur and I don't even know I've re-watched a little I went to a school a couple of weeks ago and they were doing 
they have a rugby class and they were doing analysis of that game. Um, and that was like the first time I'd actually kind of rewatched parts of it because I just sort of, yeah, I don't know why. I just It was just a bit of a blur and I just left it that way. Why is it a blur? Why is that? I don't know. I think I was just so many emotions and yeah, it all just happened really fast. But I think like once we kind of celebrated together, all of our family that was in the crowd, we walked over to them and that was like a really special time because they mm. sort of had obviously been such a big part of our journey and our whole group, like all of our family was also really close. So yeah, it was just like great to be able to share that all together, like with all our favourite people, which was, yeah, it was special. What did you think when you were looking back on it just recently on that game? So you'd never watched it since? Um, no, not like the whole way through. I'd seen mm. like bits and pieces of it. I played really bad in the first half. So I think that's why I don't like re-watching it. <laughs> I was wondering, is that, is that a blur? Is that why it's a, not really bad? Was it one drop catch? Am I wrong? Like Yeah, and I threw a line out crooked <laughs> and then they, oh, I don't know if they scored off it, but they might have got close to scoring. Right. Yeah. yeah. A very so, uncharacteristic Charlotte Kaslick. Was that nerves? What was that? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, I actually don't really know. Hmm. Kind of all just happened but yeah probably a little bit of nerves um but I think like the way I was able to change it like looking back Mm. being only 21 and then being able like I played so bad in the first half and then coming out in the second half and being able to play heaps better I think was like when I look back at my 21 year old self I'm pretty proud of her because I don't think many 21 21 year olds that I know could do that now yeah that not let that disappointment get them and yeah I sort of just got on with it yeah who in the you talk about you go into the crowd, but who did you go into the crowd first? Who was the first person that you that you saw? Who was the first person on the field, and then who was the first person in the crowd? The stadium was like really high above us, so you kind of had to like climb up to it. Um, I think we first went to like my brother was with maybe Emily's brother, like all that. We have all these brothers. Maybe that's why we all ended up playing rugby because we like grew <laughs> up wrestling and stuff. But. Um, yeah, they were all together and that's who we went over to first. And my brother Jack's like my biggest fan. <laughs> so that was really cool to um, be able to go give him a hug straight away. And then when we sang the national anthem, by that time all our family had like come in front of us. Um, so we got to go up to them after. Things changed pretty quickly for you, for your sport, for your team, right after that gold medal, medal match. When did you realise things were, had changed? What gave you the biggest indication yet that, uh, okay, this was a big deal back home? I think, especially back home, that we were on like the front cover of so many newspapers and we were kind of like, ended up being almost like the face of that games and we got so Mm. much coverage. I think it was like a great reflection of the girls in the squad. They were just so humble and were just sort of going about their business and it was quite unexpected. So yeah, I think just the coverage that we got and um, how many people wanted to talk to us and, yeah, all of that. And I think even, like, within the Olympic Village, like, the Australian team, like, when you talk to them, a lot of them would say it was, like, their favourite moment. And, yeah, I think that was pretty special for us. Because suddenly you talk about you're on the front page, TV stations, everyone wants to have a piece of you girls. You did following that. You did shoots for Elle, for Vogue, <laughs> everything. <laughs> Prior to that, were you doing any of that really? And <laughs> yeah, then, not at all. Yeah, how mind-boggling yeah, was, was that? Um, the Vogue 
I've been in Vogue twice now, which is crazy. But <laughs> yeah, it all just happened so fast. And I think straight after, or well, it might have been on the day after we played. So my partner, Lewis, was competing. Um, and Alan Jones rang me and he like did a radio interview with me. And that was probably one of my highlights because um, I love Alan Jones and um, <laughs> I got to talk to him and that was really cool. And yeah, I think just so many different, it was so like Vogue's obviously fashion and then you'd have like Alan Jones and then you'd have people from obviously sports media and like the wide range of people that were invested into what we were doing. Um, it was just crazy. Like I would never have thought so many people would care so much. It was amazing what what they did, what that win did. Um, a bit of per- from my perspective, I I don't know if you remember. I did a story on you in twenty fourteen or twenty fifteen um, with Channel Nine when I was when I was working, and I did a story with you and Emily Cherry, and that ran on the news. But I did that story, and it took me ages to get you know, our people in charge to put it on the news. And every day I'd go in there saying, we've got this Rugby seven story, we've got this Rugby seven story, like another day, another day, another day. Then finally they put it on the news, but we could only put it on the afternoon news, not the 6pm news. And then immediately after that game, I had news editors turn to me and go, how about those women Rugby sevens players? Like, how come we haven't done more stories on them? And I just <laughs> threw my hands up. I'm like, I've been trying. So it shows you the difference that made. But that's must have been pretty frustrating looking back, you know, those early days and not being able to get that coverage. And then you had to do achieve great things in order to get that coverage. Yeah, definitely. And I think like everyone sort of, even now, like, because we haven't exactly had the success that we had then, as soon as you're not winning, people kind of forget about you which is all part of sport, I know. But yeah, I think it all kind of comes hand in hand. Like if we got more coverage and more support, maybe it would help us perform better. But at the same time, like we know we need to perform well to get that coverage. So it's sort of, yeah, difficult at times. It's yeah, definitely a cycle. And um, But yeah, it is frustrating, I think, at times when you don't get any recognition and then like we win one game. And I guess like the World Series as well, because it's you've got to be consistent across the whole thing. Um, so it's technically harder to win than a one-off game. Yeah, so I guess that's sometimes a little bit frustrating when people don't understand, I guess, the ins and outs of our sport, again, because it just doesn't get seen that often. Were you ready for the immediate attention that was on Charlotte Kaslik following that win? Probably not. Like, I didn't really expect it. So, yeah, probably not. <laughs> How did you how did you manage that attention? That because it was Charlotte Kaslick everywhere for a strong while, was that hard to kind of navigate? Yeah, at times. Like sometimes I'd get a little bit overwhelmed by it, but like I've got a great manager that's awesome at kind of picking and choosing what's important to do and what um like not getting too much on my plate Mm. and then I think my family are just very grounding so they don't really let me get ahead of myself (laughs) at all (laughs) I want to talk about your Instagram account because you're uh, pretty much hours after that you went from 5,000 followers on your Instagram account to 75,000 after Rio (laughs) did you realize the power of your platform and what that would mean um, no, definitely not, especially being 21 at the time. Um, I know like my partner Lewis and his teammates said that they would just like during the games would just like sit on my page and refresh it and <laughs> see how many followers I'd get. Um, 
But we weren't using our phones during the Olympics, so I didn't actually have much of an idea about what was going on. What was your um, what was your what was your first thoughts when you look back and you're like, okay, now I've got seventy five thousand. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty crazy. Like my brother sent me a print screen of like the in it must have been like on the Olympic page, like the most trending athletes. And at one stage, like I was above like Usain Bolt or something, <laughs> um, which was pretty crazy. Um, I've got like print screens of all of them. Um, <laughs> so yeah, like that sort of stuff's pretty wild. I think I was like lucky, obviously that. The times that we were playing in Australia was like prime time. Um, so a lot of people could watch. And then we also got to play USA. And then, yeah, I've got like a lot of Brazilian fans now. Um, <laughs> and some from like France and Italy as well that seemed to jump on board after then. You said to a journo in 2016 that you wanted to challenge the stereotype of a women's rugby player. What did you mean by that? And how did you go about that? Uh, I think so when I first started, the stereotypes that I sort of associated with rugby and I'm not sure about other people, but um, was sort of like I had to be like big and uh, masculine and sort of like just a boy. And I was like a boy's game, not one that girls could play. And so, yeah, I don't know. When I started playing, I was, again, lucky with Tim Walsh. He kind of was happy for me to be me and express myself the way I wanted to and he was like that with all the girls like you could just be yourself and you didn't have to worry about you know everyone being the same and so he'd let me put ribbons in my hair and paint my nails pink and (laughs) um like I could be girly and everything without anyone kind of being like oh we don't do that at rugby or um so yeah I think that's definitely changed a lot the girls that are in our squad now are come from all these different sports and all these different backgrounds and hopefully they can all be in one place together and feel really safe there and yeah just be happy with who they are and confident in who they are so yeah I think it was obviously lucky for me that while she was on board with all of my um, girliness and didn't try and get that out of me (laughs) yeah you said in that same article that mums you find some mums don't want their girls to play rugby do you still think that's the case or do you think that perceptions now with the success that you had with our Aussie Sevens that that's now changed? I think it's definitely changed a little bit and obviously having the AFLW and the NRLW on the TV screens as well where girls are playing contact sports is becoming a lot more normal and so I think that's a massive positive for contact sport. But I still like get I meet the odd girl that says she's not allowed to play because her parents won't let her and yeah, I guess it's like, some boys aren't allowed to play rugby either. So I guess some parents just think it's not safe for their kids or whatever, which is fine. But yeah, I'd hope that like the style of rugby that we play and the way we go about it, I hope parents think is, yeah, something that they would like their kids to do. Like we're so athletic and yeah, I feel like we're like good athletes. We're not just good rugby players. So there's like more to it than just the rugby. If you met a parent on the street and they said that to you, what would you say that, you know, you don't, I don't want my girl to play rugby, I don't think it's safe. What would you say back to them to reassure them? Um, well, I think rugby in particular has probably got like the safest protocol in terms of like head highs and the way that we tackle in sevens especially, it's like all low. Um, so out of a lot of the sports, I think it is probably one of the safest. So yeah, I think like especially like the, concussion protocols and everything that rugby's doing and has 
got on board with, um, I think has been really great for the game and hopefully to reassure parents that it is safe and that um, like our health and wellbeing is definitely their priority for the sport. Mm. In your socials, in what you do on social media, you know, you always show yourself as as body confident, as strong and as, as, as athletic. Have you always had that body confidence in your body image? Um, yeah, I think so. Mm. Um, I think like going through high school or like the back end of primary school, high school, like being athletic and strong probably wasn't as cool as what it is now. Um, I think there's been like a massive shift in the market of like people think that like, yeah, like being strong and healthy is actually really good now. So I think that's great. And I think like I've trained so much and I work so hard um, to look after my body. So yeah, I'm really proud of it. And um, yeah, I think, but yeah, I don't know, going through high school, I think I was just like every other teenage girl. Like I definitely had my insecurities and... Were you um, muscly when you were, because you were doing so much, I guess it was touch, but were you a muscly athletic figure like you are now? Yeah, I was always athletic. Like I've always been really athletic. I'm definitely more muscly though now than what I was then, um, which was another like when I first started playing rugby, I didn't want to get big and muscly and I thought that's what was always going to happen to me as soon as I went to the gym. I was just going to become like massive, um, which didn't happen at all. Like I think my body now compared to when I was 17 playing touch has hardly changed that much. Mm. I'm just a lot stronger and more powerful and... Um, yeah, I think, yeah, the gym aspect of it is something that I've really grown to love. Mm. What's the message then you'd want to send young girls who might be struggling with what their body looks like, whether it's too muscly or, um, or, or not at all or how they look in the mirror? What would be your message to those young girls? I think for me it was learning that my body is, like I'm so grateful for what my body can do for me so I can run, I can lift weights and jump and it allows me to do what I do for a living and respecting it and fueling it properly. I know in high school, like making sure you eat enough when you're playing all these different sports or whatever you're doing, making sure you're eating properly to fuel your body and not mm. sort of, I guess, punishing it. Um, but yeah, that's probably like the main thing is just respecting it for what it does for you and learning to, I think once you like appreciate and are grateful for your body and being able to do all these things like running and jumping, you kind of have to love it because it lets you do such awesome things every day. Mm. Can we move on to equality within your sport? Where does rugby currently stand on equality between men's and women's? Are we there yet or we still got work to do? Uh, in terms of the sevens program, we're definitely there I think um like our minimum wage is the same as the men's um all through super rugby as well is the top wage the same no but the top wage is different <laughs> um why is the top wage not the same I don't know <laughs> yeah. um yeah I my manager and I have these conversations all the time um in terms of you know there's a handful of household names within Australian rugby at the moment and I'm definitely one of them and I probably don't get treated like the male household names, I guess. Is that the same as the rugby sevens or just rugby? Just throughout rugby in general, mm. yeah. So um, in rugby sevens, I think we would be pretty close at the top, like on par with the men. But with 15 aside rugby, it's definitely still like quite a way to go. And then obviously our poor Wallaroos are kind of being stitched up all the time. The boys have been playing for the last 
few months and um, I think they've only just locked in a game for the girls next year after cancelling everything this year for them. So, um, yeah, there's definitely a long way to go for the Wallaroos and in the 15-a-side aspect of women's rugby. But, yeah, at the moment the Sevens girls are heading in the right direction and, like, in a pretty good place. For a long time there you were um, you were the most recognisable faces in Rugby Sevens with gold medal winners, household names, and yet you weren't paid the same as the men even in the Rugby Sevens program. How frustrating was that time as someone that's, I guess, spruiking your sport so much, you're on the covers of everything more than the men's were. It was a frustrating time to be like, well, where's that kind of kind of measured and and um and repaid in our in our salaries. Yeah, I think so. Um obviously it like comes back to the visibility thing. Like people don't get to see us play, so it's then it's hard to get sponsors if people can't see see us play and that's always difficult. But I don't know, it's just like one of those things that I think as women we've just sort of become come to accept at the moment and I hope like when I have daughters one day like they won't have these same problems but from where we started to where we are now it's like such a huge change and it's definitely going in the right direction it's just going there quite slowly. Yeah still frustrating sometimes? Yeah it is especially like I guess you kind of the like obviously if they can't find the money to pay us or give our program what it needs you'd at least hope you kind of get the recognition within the organization from but like it's just been difficult at times because I think it just comes down to because we're always overseas as well we kind of get forgotten whenever we're over there. Apart from that financial equality I remember reading stories just about like the fairness within the tournaments which isn't just Australian rugby that it's you know um, international rugby as well you know what impact does it have not having few world series events playing together but even then when they are played together, do you have an equal share of the grounds and also the times in which you play? Yeah, yeah. So usually we have to play like really early in the day or something and then the boys get to play later. If when we there's do more play people together. Yeah, when yeah. there's more people. So I think even like at Sydney Sevens, it would have been when we won in 2018, like our quarterfinal maybe or yep. semifinal was on at like 9am in the morning or something and the tournament didn't have passes out of the tournament so if you went you then had to stay there until like 9pm at night if right. you wanted to be there for the whole day and watch us play so obviously not many people show up to watch you play at 9am mm. if they've got to stay there all day so that sort of stuff yeah is like a little bit frustrating and obviously when we get to play alongside men it creates like such a great atmosphere for our tournament but then like if the boys don't like it usually they're the ones that get to make the decision around you know if they've got to wait longer between games and they complain a lot or something Mm. and they change it but yeah like it's I love playing alongside the men's tournaments if they can kind of like figure out the schedules and make it worthwhile for both parties. Must have been because that 2018 Sydney Sevens like you're the you're the gold medalist. You're the ones that are on every cover or on every TV station of the household names. But yeah, you're right. You played your quarterfinal at nine o'clock or 9.44. Not nine o'clock, you're playing that quarterfinal. And then the men's first pool match wasn't until 2 p.m. The pool match of even like lower kind of sides were playing that, which is almost like prime time. That's when people turn up to have like yeah. the day and then, and then the night. But it would have been incredibly frustrating given you the ones that 
I like spooking the sport so well and it's so everywhere. But yeah, even that equality yeah. in terms of scheduling was yeah, different. Yeah, and like we played a World Series final in London at Twickenham, um, which obviously being able to play at Twickenham is amazing. But the women's tournament was like on the outside field and then the final was in Twickenham. Mm. And they put us after the men. And like by the time we'd finished playing, like literally everyone in the crowd had left. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Which like, yeah, I don't know. Like it was right at the end of the day. Is it getting better and how can that change? It's definitely getting better. But yeah, I don't know. I think the organisers just need to probably be a bit smarter around, around the scheduling and obviously not to like completely change it up for the men so it like makes it inconvenient for them, but just kind of try and figure out like a happy medium that suits both men's and women's rugby. Mm. It's very inconvenient for you now, isn't it? So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're really passionate about growing grassroots rugby. Why does that mean so much to you? Uh, that probably comes down, like, from my dad. He, like, has been just a great person for rugby in general, for Australian sevens. Um, I think even at the Olympics, there was probably, like, seven of us that had played for Tribe Sevens, which is the club team that my dad sort of set up when I first started playing rugby. But yeah, I'm definitely like, I think that within Australian rugby at the moment, we can do so much more in like grassroots, especially rurally, and not just kind of relying on private schools to be the pathway. So yeah, I think like AFL and NRL do a great job at grassroots level. um, And that's why they probably retain so many kids in the sport going forward. Um, so yeah, I'm hopefully like when I finish playing, that'll be a space that I spend a lot of my time. And I honestly just, I love rugby and I love kids and I love playing. So when I go down to clubs and hang out, like I just like love getting in there and playing and playing bull rush or whatever it is with the kids. Like I love doing that sort of stuff. What was it that your dad set up? The Tribe Sevens? He set that up? Um, yeah, so dad like started Tribe Sevens when I first started playing rugby because at the time, if you wanted to play sevens, you had to play for like 15s as well for the clubs. And there was a lot of girls at the time that only wanted to play sevens. Like they weren't interested in playing 15 aside rugby. Um, so yeah, he set up his own club to allow us to do that. Yeah. And then he ended up doing it for boys and girls. And like he would take teams to tour to Dubai, France, Amsterdam. Awesome. Where else they've been? Like at Las Vegas. Like they went to so many tournaments all across the world. And um, it was almost like a little pathway. Yeah. Yeah. To help develop kids before they came to Australian Sevens. Yeah. Fantastic. In 2020, with the Tokyo Olympics postponed, you made a switch to the NRLW. How did that come about? And was that a tough decision to make a switch to NRL? No, it wasn't super tough. Um, I think at that stage I, like, had no idea when I'd get to play rugby again and it was more about, like, getting some game time, doing something to reignite. Like, it was such a heavy down getting the Olympics postponed. Like, it was a really tough time to go through. Um, So it was sort of just something to, you know, like, distract me a little bit and give me something to work towards. And, yeah, like, I loved doing it like it was so fun and I learned a lot of new things and I hopefully helped some of the girls there and taught them a few things and um yeah I really enjoyed the experience. What was the biggest difference in between rugby league between that that competition and the Aussie Sevens program? I guess because it's not like full time like we'd only train a couple of days a week 
so that was a big difference. It was quite nice though, like having to not train every single day <laughs> and we didn't have to do as much running. That was also nice. <laughs> but yeah, in terms of like the actual training and stuff, like it was quite similar. Like we did a few things that we do at rugby as well. But yeah, I think just the like professionalism of it was just slightly different. How so? Uh, I guess like because like the girls are coming from work and they've got to do a full day's work and then get to training and then sometimes people can't make it or um, so it definitely had like a more of a club feel to it, which it is a club, I guess, anyway. But when we're at sevens, it's sort of like the full day you're there, you're getting physio, massage, people are like telling you what to eat and we're like constantly having meetings and that sort of stuff. Whereas for the NRLW, because they don't have that time, everything's sort of like condensed into a few hours, a couple of days a week. And they kind of just have to get through it as quickly as possible. And then like we started playing. So yeah, I think like those girls, like credit to them for being able to work with what they've got at the moment. Like it's amazing to see them come from work, train for a couple of hours at the end of the day, have a meeting, get to the gym in their own time and um, yeah, do all of that for just because they love it. And I think that was, yeah, like such a nice thing to go back into and be a part of. And I think it's something that is across women's sport is that you find that a lot of people are just doing it because they love it. And it's always quite refreshing, the environment to go into. What um, did you feel for them when the 2021 season was kept getting postponed and then got postponed moments yeah, before pre-season was, days before preseason was due to start? Yeah, um, I was hoping to play again with the Roosters, so that was pretty disappointing that it didn't get to go ahead. And I guess, like, the communication across from the top down, not that I was involved with much of it, but it seemed like it was just non-existent, um, which would have been really frustrating for the girls and for them just not to play for such a long period of time. And I think their club tournament season, sorry, got cancelled. And, yeah, just, like, a really difficult time and then... Just the lack of notice, I guess, for them um, made it really hard. They put their lives, like you say. Yeah. A lot of them have put their lives on hold for, for this competition too. So, yeah. Yeah. I didn't know you were going to play. That's yeah. Cool. Um, but I probably won't be able to play now because it's obviously will be clashing with my season. And Com um, Games. With Com Games and mm. World Cup next year. So um, that's obviously a massive shame. Like I was really excited to play um, – the head coach for the Roosters this year, Stranger, he was like absolutely awesome with me last year when I played. Um, he spent so much time like extra because obviously I wasn't working. So I had all of this time and he let me come early and walk around with me and um, he taught me so much. So yeah, I was really disappointed that I didn't get to play with him. Was it a risk though with to play the NRLW given, you know, you were close to an Olympic or you're in Olympic year, but when it was postponed, it was close to that. Did you ever think that it was a bit of a risk for injuries or having something that could kind of cut short your Olympic campaign or was that? Yeah, I think because I knew I had like, I think it was about 10 months or so. But I don't, yeah, I guess when you play contact sport, like every day you can are kind of putting yourself out there at a risk of an injury. So I've sort of always like taken that in my stride as like they if they're going to happen, they happen. I did end up getting injured, so that yeah. sucked, But <laughs> When um, that happened, did you think, did you fear that when you first got injured that, oh my gosh, this could be, did you think Olympics straight away? Nah, nah, they were too <laughs> far away. Like we had like so much to go before then. Um, 
my coaching staff were probably like thinking that, but yeah. um, <laughs> I reckon they were. No, nah, I was fine. Um, yeah, even though I still got injured, like I enjoyed the experience so much that I think it was worth doing. And and you kept playing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it was definitely worth doing and the breakup of my training and um, something new was, yeah, kind of over rode the risk, I guess, of other things. Well, let's talk about this year with the Olympics. Obviously, high hopes with defending, being the defending champions. Did you feel any pressure heading into these games, being the defending champions? And given, you know, the COVID lead up meant that you couldn't play that many international games in the lead up? Yeah, I think there was like, Definitely a little bit of pressure because people probably hadn't really watched us play the last few years due to COVID or um, just in general. Um, so they probably weren't completely aware of like how we were going and where our squad was at. But I don't know. I probably felt like more pressure personally in Tokyo than I did in Rio um, just because I knew that for us to be successful, like I would have to play really, really well. I think just with a young group, they kind of needed you know, like the older group to lead from the front and like losing Emily Cherry was a massive hit just before and um, we didn't have Elia as well who's like one of our strike weapons out there so um, like a lot of the points were kind of had to come from me or around me but Chloe Dalton as well yeah we miss Chloe like yeah I think it was just the lack of game time with each other like obviously not being able to play in general was quite detrimental to our campaign but like there was Tia Hines she's like one of our up-and-coming little superstars who got to debut at the Olympics and she honestly did so well but me and her before the Olympics had played like a minute and a half together ever Mm. on the same rugby field wow okay which if you then go back to Rio when I had like Emily Cherry and Alicia Quirk outside me or inside me I played with them for like 10 years so it was yeah, just a massive difference in like the combinations that we had and stuff. We just didn't have, ultimately at the end of the day, I think we just didn't have enough time together to sort of build those, which was, yeah, it was, it is what it is. So like we couldn't change it. So we did the best of what we could. Was it tough for you seeing Elia miss out and, and then Chloe get injured and, and then losing Em as well? Like how tough was that to watch on the sidelines? Yeah, it was, yeah, really hard, I guess. Like I think with Elia, obviously that was a coaching decision and um, I always have to back my coach and believe in his decisions and what he thinks is right. And um, But like just to personally see a really good friend of mine go through something like that is always difficult. And um, But to her credit, she's one of the most resilient people I've ever met and after the team was announced she came upstairs and gave everyone a big cuddle and said congratulations and when she would congratulate everyone like even I guess like people in her position or that might have been fighting for the same spots as her she was so genuine and she was so happy Mm. for everyone else and um, I think that's just like the credit to her as a person and who she is. She's a great human being isn't she? (laughs) Yeah. A really really great human. Um you got knocked out early. Take me to that point when you realised that this campaign was over. What was going through your mind at that point? Yeah, it's like heartbreaking, I guess. Like the Fiji quarterfinal, 
it got like postponed due to a storm and you could kind of just like feel the nerves amongst the younger girls and well everyone but like the young girls just really starting to build inside the dressing room so yeah I really felt for some of them like you could just tell that they were so nervous already and then that delay would have been really difficult for them and then Fiji were awesome like they came out of the block so hard and probably like caught us off guard a little bit and then we were kind of chasing the game the whole time and yeah it just wasn't ever in our control which is hard in sevens like if you don't have the momentum it's really hard to kind of switch it around and get it back um and we only like we ended up losing by two points which was um just a conversion but yeah I think we kind of just like didn't give ourselves the right opportunities and like get ourselves into the game properly and yeah it's like one or two moments that really can hurt you in sevens so yeah it was heartbreaking and I think like some of the younger girls felt like they let so many people down and they let us down because they didn't defend mm-hmm. our gold medal and they probably had like a whole different I think defending someone else's medal that you didn't win is probably almost more pressure than defending your own. Yeah, right. Um, so I don't know. I've really felt for them and I just sort of said to them like they're all so young and they've got so much time ahead of them and um, I can guarantee they'll learn a lot from that campaign and even like the preparation leading into it, I think they're going to learn so much from and yeah, I kind of, I don't know, like some of them would like, oh, we just trained for five years for nothing and um, there's, mm. like, so many different emotions that go through your head. But it was, I don't know, it was still, I think they got to just learn so much from it that it was, yeah. You had to take on okay. a whole new leadership role <laughs> this year, didn't you, this time Yeah, around. I did, especially in, like, the halves because I lost Alicia and Emily. So just trying to, like, really mentor some of the, yeah, young and up-and-coming halves was probably, like, my main role. But... Yeah, I'm really excited, I think, for this group moving forward. It feels like there's a great change coming and they're going in the right direction and they kind of are all coming together and they've it's almost like they're a team now, you know, like I'm a bit older and there's not many <laughs> of us left from there and I'm just slotting into what they want to do and um, like the direction that they want to go in. How long did it take you to get over it? Were you okay? Could you move on quickly or did it take a while to process? <laughs> uh, I don't know if I'm over it just yet. Yeah, still hurts. Yeah, I don't know. I really haven't processed it that much yet. I've sort of just blanked it out and um, I'll get back to it when I am kind of ready to go through it. But I think we will learn a lot from it. So it's going to be okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think it'll be like a really kind of like game changing moment for our group moving forward and into Paris. Which is not too far away, which is good. Um, yeah. Which is, we're too here for, for Charlotte. Obviously, Commonwealth Games next year. You don't have long until Paris. Yeah. Um, so I've re-signed with rugby for two years, which is um, awesome. Like I'm cool. happy to be there for another two years and then obviously hopefully for Paris. Um, the Com Games and World Cup next year as well as hopefully our World Series restarting once we can travel overseas again. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited. I think, like I said, for this younger group of girls to like – see what they can now do and mentor them and be a part of what they're doing and hopefully lead them in the right direction and um, kind of watch them do what we did as a group before Rio and like hopefully this Paris Games can kind of be their games that they're going to make their mark on the world as well. Throughout this podcast, you've, you've mentioned one name that keeps coming up and she shared in that moment with you in the 2016 Olympics, and it's, of course, Emily Cherry. You've had a great, and you've talked about that friendship and 
um, and that relationship that you've had with with them right throughout your career, which started early. Um, she actually sent this little memo to you that we'll, we'll play now. Oh, no, I'll probably cry. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Charlotte, it's Chezzy. Um, I think from the very beginning it was obvious that we clicked both on and off the field from the start where we were both playing for Storm in the Brisbane and then seeing you come through the Queensland schoolgirls pathways in those years below me and then starting our rugby journey together at Ballymore. Uh, It was very evident that we were always on the same page and we were always willing to work hard for each other. Uh, It's no secret you've always been my favourite player to play outside uh, unless Quirky's listening and then in that case it's you and Quirky. Uh, You've taken professional women's sport to a whole new level. Your athleticism, grace and ease on the field has always been incredible to watch and uh, even more incredible to be a part of. I love that you're a fighter, you're tenacious, you're ultra competitive and you've always driven me to be a better player. Even though I spent my whole career looking at the back of your boots. I love the way you love Atlas and spoil her with either Queensland jerseys or elaborate tutus. Um, I've been so incredibly lucky to be a part of your journey so far. Miss you and can't wait until uh, we can catch up again. (laughs) How do you react to that? Yeah, it's probably very mutual. Um, I'm surprised she didn't say something about me yelling at everyone all the time. Um, (laughs) She was sort of always like the calming essence that I needed. Quirky and I were both very, I guess, like fiery and I can be a bit erratic sometimes. So she was, I could look at her and just like immediately feel at ease and calm again. So yeah, I think not having her for the last couple of seasons has been really hard. Just a big change because yeah, she's definitely one of my favourite players I've ever played with and probably ever will play with. But (laughs) I think like those memories are there forever and yeah, I'm sure they'll probably forever be some of my favourite ones. And little Alice being her little little girl because she's since become a mum, which is really Yeah, sweet. I know. It's been so sweet to just, I guess, be a part of that journey as well. And, yeah, just kind of watch her go from... She sort of always led the way because she's a couple of years older than me. So she played touch with me and then she was the first one to, like, get good at rugby and kind of inspired a lot of us to stick at it and give it a go and then... Now she's had her daughter and come back and played and she sort of always just led the way in like so many different aspects of the game and so hopefully can continue to follow her footsteps, I guess, like if I ever want to have kids and come back and play. I know that Ches did it, so kind of gives you like confidence in yourself to be able to do it as well. Let's talk about Farmer Charlotte. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the other side of Charlotte that people may not may not see, but um, you've got a property with yourself and um, your fiancé, Lewis Holland, who's also Rugby Sevens star. Um, have you always wanted to live on the land and how did that come about? No, I haven't. <laughs> um, so we ended up buying in Stanthorpe, which is where my dad grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, my auntie and uncle still have, live out there and they farm capskins. Cool. And mum and dad have just recently gone back out there. So um, yeah, it's been nice to kind of like go back out to, I guess we've always sort of like been a little bit attached to it through dad. Um, and then Lewis has always wanted to be a farmer. So he thought, I don't think he ever really wanted to play sport or anything. He was just good at it. Um, <laughs> and he always wanted to go be a ringer up north. And 
um, work on cattle stations and that was like his forever dream. So he's sort of been able to do a little bit of that at the same time now, which is cool. But the country in Stanthorpe similar to where he grew up in Braidwood. So that's sort of why we ended up moving there because I don't want to live in New South Wales. So um, <laughs> you're very, very close. close to the border. <laughs> so um, such a Queenslander. I yeah. <laughs> so yeah, he's kind of copped it and he's going to have to have Queensland children. <laughs> <laughs> Just on the border. Just. <laughs> yeah. We might take them. What, does it give you a bit of an outlet? Is that what you love about being out there? Yeah, I think so. Like it's so different to like the hustle and bustle of Sydney. Like we are just so, um, yeah, like we kind of just do our own thing and it's completely opposite to what I do day to day. But there's like little parts of it that I think are like relevant to that I can take from, I guess, sport into farming and farming back into sport, which I also love. And I like being outside and I like doing things that are active and I love animals. So it kind of is all there in one place. Yeah. Do you get attached to your cows? I know you've got your own, (laughs) (laughs) you were saying Lewis isn't so into your hairy cows, your Southern Highland cows. Yeah. So he's not, yeah, much of a fan of those (laughs) fluffy ones, but. They're Charlotte's project. They're my project on the side. I'm definitely attached to them. Yeah. It's going to be, when I have to start selling them, that's definitely going to be quite difficult. (laughs) We went to some country races a couple of weeks ago and like there's, I know like all these blokes that are like farm, like thousands of head of Angus cattle or something. Mm. And I kept telling them I had 10 fluffy cows. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I think some of them thought it was a joke, but I was like, no, I honestly do. I have 10 of these like really cute ones. If you ever need to buy one for your wife or your daughter, just let me know. Hello. Um, yeah, but. You've also got the other cattle I do as have well. actual real cows. Yeah. <laughs> on, my cows are real, but yeah, I have yeah. Um, cows that we do buy and sell and breed as well on the other side of yep. things. It's a bit more serious, but Lewis sort of lets me have my animal collection to kind of <laughs> keep me happy and keep me enjoying my time out there. I love it. They are very cute. I can understand that. I like them. I can see them on your social media as well. Well, Charlotte, we finish off every podcast by asking, if you could go back and talk to little 10-year-old, 11-year-old Charlotte, what would you tell her? I would probably encourage me to stay doing athletics for a little bit longer. Really? Um, Yeah, probably. Just a little bit longer and probably be nicer to my mum when I was 14. (laughs) I was not very nice to her for a little while there. (laughs) Um, But like what I was doing was going to get me into the, where I wanted to be. So I was on the right track. Just, yeah, be nicer to mum. Yeah. Okay. Like a typical 14 year old. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, Charlotte, it's been great chatting. Um, Thank you so much for chatting to me and joining us here on, on Her Game. No, thank you for having me. On Her Game was presented by me, Sam Squires, producer, Lindsay Green, audio producer, Nikki Sitch, executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. This episode was created in partnership with Puma for the Fearless podcast series, To stay up to date with their incredible female sporting icons, follow at PumaAU on Instagram. And remember, stay fearless.